0: Well, thank you for that introduction, Pastor Palmer. Uh, yeah, Saint Francis, Kansas. I remember when they called me. I'm like, where is that? And and in fact, it is the only. Uh, so well, at that time there were two. Now it is the only uh, AFLC church in uh, in Kansas. So, um, but what a wonderful place. Uh, love being there. Uh, uh, I, I can tell you stories about that. But yeah, what, they're they're saying they're. Uh, they're kind of their motto is um, three hours from anywhere, and we like it that way. <laughs> <laughs> but what's nice is, yeah, Denver is only three hours away. So it's, yeah, we had a, a wonderful time. And, and I think maybe I shared last time I was here a little bit about being on the, actually, the, the fire, it was the church before that that actually started into the fire ministry because, well, I served a church of, so there was just, <laughs> well, when we first arrived, if it wasn't for the fact we were bringing six of our own, uh, we wouldn't have been in double digits. So, and that church over the eleven years we were there grew to to about sixty or so on a regular Sunday, and a lot of that came from interacting with our community through a variety of things, including the fire department, being a chaplain for the police department, and and other other ways too of uh, just connecting. So, anyways, I am thrilled to be back. I'm glad to be here with you. Uh, I I think that's a good sign. Um, <laughs> that you invited me back. Uh, that's, that's good. Uh, and actually, it seems like there's even more people here today. So that's, that's uh, an encouraging sign as well. And I, I thank you too. You know, um, as Pastor Palmer said, I am the director now of um, uh, the FLC's Department of Evangelism and Discipleship. And uh, I do travel a lot. Um, and I don't get, a lot of, most of the time I'm having to preach uh, specifically on those areas, and to, uh, being called to be like, fill a pulpit like this. It was kind of fun. Uh, I, was a, I served uh, congregations for 25 years, so it gave me a chance this week just to wrestle with and spend time in the Word and, and uh, look at this passage uh, and, uh, and really wrestle it. So thank you for that. I've enjoyed it, and I hope that... Uh, also, too, it, I've been challenged by it a lot, and, and I hope you will as well. Uh, uh, be challenged, but also encouraged um, and motivated as, as it's really spoken to me a lot. Um, again, I'm glad that to see you are here. Uh, and for some of those reasons we just talked about as well, but also because you've decided that it was worth getting up and doing to come to church, <laughs> not, not just because I'm here. But you chose to get up and get out of bed when many, many people just, yeah, we're, we're camping out here. We're not going anywhere or we're going to go do something else today. You made the conscious decision that coming to church was important. Uh, you decided that it has value to you. Because, honest, I don't know about you, I don't like getting out of bed. I, I would rather, especially since you can't do it all the rest of the week, right? Wouldn't it be great just to sleep in for that extra hour or two? You thought it was a value. You thought coming here, coming to Sunday school, which I enjoyed being a part of that too this morning, but also coming for worship, coming to be under God's word, you thought that would be relevant to your life and and helpful and and you living out your life here. And, and, And I appreciate that. I think that's important. And I, but I wonder, too, if we really think about that that's really the question most people ask, right? Isn't that the, uh, that's the metric we use? If I'm going to do something, well, probably first, is if it, is it fun, right? <laughs> Does it taste good? But after that, we, we would go with, uh, is it valuable? Is it helpful? Is it relevant? Is it worth my time and effort? And you this morning decided, yeah, yeah, I'm going to get out of bed and come, and I'm thankful for that. And the reality is that greater numbers of people—they oh, even before COVID—are deciding that church, and even Christianity, is not worth it. Not worth the effort. It's no longer valuable. It's not really helpful. It's not relevant to our world, to our culture, to our lives. They didn't grow up with that, a lot of them, especially those who have been born since 1995. But that's just the way our world is, is, is seeing things today. They don't see the, the value of that. They'll, they'll probably get up and maybe play golf or, well, not golf yet, but go out and do something else because they don't see it's important. In fact, some would even say their life is better without it. Or, or, or that it's of some value, but not worth buying into completely. That it's not critical to life. Now those of us who believe and trust in Christ and have had our lives dramatically changed and impacted by the gospel, we, 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 we struggle with that. We, we, we're hurt and wounded by that even, thinking of them, and and we worry. How then can we change their minds? How do we reach them? How do we convince them otherwise? How in this post-Christian culture that we live in can we help others see what God has revealed to us? How can we begin to communicate in meaningful ways that not only is Christianity valuable and helpful and relevant, but it is critical To their life right now, as well as the life to come. Well, this morning, I'd like us to look to our great example, Jesus, and I want us to see what he did to reach an equally sinful and self righteous world with the gospel. What he did to show that his message was valuable, important, and relevant to his culture and world. And I invite you to look with me in in, uh, your Bibles to Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6, beginning in verse 30. And I think it's a fairly familiar passage, but I'll I'll, I'll read it for you. Mark chapter 6, beginning at verse 30. And it starts, The apostles returned to Jesus and told them, all that they had done and taught, and he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat, and they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now, we're going to pick up the rest of it in a moment here, but just trying to set the context for this, um, the, you know, Jesus had sent out his disciples for uh, a little work and witness trip. Um, They'd gone through some tough times here. Uh, John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin, had been killed, beheaded. They were exhausted. And as our text picks up here, even as they gather here, they're they're, they're trying to, to visit, but there's not even an opportunity for them to eat, right? And Jesus says, let's come away to a place and rest a while. So they climb in a boat and they find some remote place to get away from it. And But even before they land, the people are there waiting for them. And so picking up again in verse 34, when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, And he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So that they sat down in groups by hundreds and fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said, A blessing, and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them them all, and they all ate and were satisfied." And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. So let me ask you, as we see this story unfolding here, what does Jesus do when he sees the crowds? Even after this hard journey, all these other hard things have gone, they went away, tried to get away from him, and there they all are ready. Our text says he had compassion on them. He feels compassion for them. And that compassion moves him to action. Now, surprisingly, he didn't see the crowds. Surprising to me, he didn't see the crowds as a bother or an interruption or even an inconvenience. Instead, he describes them as sheep without a shepherd. He sees that they have no one to lead them, no one to nourish them, no one to care for them, no one to protect them. So he meets their needs. Warren Wintersby, in his commentary, asked, "Do you know what a sheep is without a shepherd? Meat for the wolf, <laughs> dinner." Jesus looks at these people and he sees their great need. He sees they need a a shepherd. He sees they need someone to care for them, someone to help them, someone to give them direction. And this is what we all need to understand about the ministry of Jesus on earth here. It was defined by compassion. Compassion for the helpless, for the broken, for the down and outs, for the terminally ill and for the hopeless. And his heart, in fact, was broken for those who had no one. And you know, I have to be honest with you. As I let that sink in and wrestled with that, I was deeply convicted by that. Because I don't always see people that way. Listen to the words used in various translations to describe the condition of these people, the sheep. Distressed and scattered, confused and helpless, harassed and downcast. The original Greek words here mean to flay, rend, or mangle. They were used to describe the tearing of dead bodies by wild beasts. Robertson's word picture says that they were harassed and bewildered by those who should have taught them, hindered from entering into the kingdom of heaven, laden with the burdens which the Pharisees laid upon them. They denote men cast down and prostrate on the ground, whether from drunkenness or from mortal wounds. That's how Jesus sees them. No wonder he's moved with compassion. And even this word compassion has great meaning. Uh, The prefix com means with, and then passion. We know that, right? Any powerful or compelling emotion or feeling. Therefore, compassion means with feeling and emotion. Thayer's Greek dictionary further defines compassion as Feeling deep sympathy and sorrow for someone else who has misfortune and having a strong desire to alleviate their suffering. And that's how Jesus acts. And I ask myself then, so, so what's the opposite of compassion? Well, it, it's got to be indifference, right? Apathy? no mercy not caring disconnected zero feelings of or emotions completely unmoved to action which then challenged me to think well how do i really act how do i act when i when i see those things going on around me am i indifferent apathetic disconnected unmoved when it comes to the needs of others. When we look to our fallen world, are we moved with compassion? Or are we unmoved with indifference? Or even worse, have we allowed this world and social media and all the other things to convince us that those who hold different views from us, different beliefs than us, that they're my enemy? That we have allowed the world's influence to so cloud our vision towards others, that instead of seeing them as people who are loved by Jesus, loved by God, people that Jesus died for, who've been deceived by the lies of this world and are trapped in sin and in desperate need of saving. And instead we see them as enemies of our faith and deserving of the judgment that they are headed for. Jesus saw the crowds and had compassion on them. And he began to teach them many things. But his disciples, they're wrestling with this. (laughs) Remember, they're still hungry. They didn't get to eat before. And now Jesus is going on and on. And they're starting to look at the time. They notice how late it is and how far they are from town. They're not even listening to what Jesus is teaching. They even go to the point of interrupting him to tell him that you know, he needs to cut this short, you know, to tell the people so they, so they can have time to go back to town before it gets dark. As if Jesus wasn't aware of the time or what was going on around him. And again, I, I, I couldn't help but think of myself, and in reality, if we're honest, aren't we Sometimes guilty of that as well? Of being more concerned about time, our agenda? Why are we so driven by our schedules, by our calendars, our plans? And who are we to choose our agenda over God's? Or what am I saying about what I believe about God when the reality is church is the first thing I cut when it interferes with the plans I have? Is one hour a week really too much for God to ask to spend with him in prayer and worship and under his word? And for some, even that is the limit of the engagement with God throughout the week. And what we're seeing is that for many, many more today, even that is too much to ask. And it makes me wonder as well, why? Why if that's the way we act, we in the church, we who claim to be Christian believers... Why wouldn't the world reject it, not see it as valuable, important, and relevant? When we, his followers, act this way. Continuing in at our text, then, Jesus says, well, you don't need to send them away, you give them something to eat. Well, I, I wish I was there. That would have been funny, right? Wouldn't have been cool to see the look on the faces of the disciples when he said, "Yeah, you guys give them something to eat." <laughs> what? There, there, there's like there's five thousand people here. That's just the men. How many people? <laughs> what are you thinking? <laughs> That's what I would think, right? Uh, what? Us give them something to eat? We don't even have enough for ourselves. And by the way, we haven't eaten yet. (laughs) Look at all these people. And it would take at least a half a year's wages just for each one to get a crumb. But again, I think of how often do I do the same thing? Isn't that the way we look at our problems as well, too? Through faithless lenses. What can I do? My contribution uh, won't even make a dent in this. I don't have any money. I don't have any time. Nothing really can be done to help this situation. It's hopeless. Nothing can save us now. And so people excuse themselves from making any difference at all, any even participating. But worst of all, from remembering that there is a God in heaven, almighty, omnipotent God who is able. And he cares. He knows what's going on, and he is aware of what we're facing. Jesus says, uh, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And then God takes even just a little bit they have, and what does he do? Well, first he gives thanks, even for this little bit, right? He looks to heaven, gives thanks, and asks the Father to bless this gift, even though all it is is, what, five loaves and two fish, 5,000 people. All right. And then he distributes it. And what happens God multiplies it. God supplies. He met their need in an unexpected way to the point where verse 42 says, they all ate and were satisfied and they picked up 12 baskets afterwards. Now when I want to ask you to think about your own spiritual life where God has led you and brought you through up till now. Have you ever been Pushed into a corner, into a tough situation, where there was nothing else you could do, and God met your need in some amazing and unexpected way. I know He has. I, I know He has in my life. There are many I, I, that I can stories to tell, but rarely do we fully recognize or acknowledge what God has done. That that God has worked in our lives in ways that that just don't make sense, that are impossible. And yet God has done it. The the comeback that cancer is gone. There, There is nothing there. There is no problem. Our loved one who has lived so far away from God and hated him has come to faith in Jesus. Over and over again, we know the stories. But when we fail to recognize them, when we pass them off as coincidence or luck or fate, we miss out. We miss out on the opportunity to see our faith grow, to bless and give thanks to God, to show the world and ourselves that, in fact, God is relevant. He, his value has been important to my everyday life. And in fact, he is the answer. Especially when our world has none. As we are growing more and more aware of. But you know, the good news is, we still have time. We who are his disciples, we who love and believe in him, we have opportunity to choose our lives in ways That others will see that we believe that Jesus really is the answer. To live like there is more to this life than this world knows or understands. To live like we believe that Jesus is alive and active and at work in our lives and in the world around us. Because we've seen him. To live like we believe that he is the greatest source of wisdom and understanding. And that we will not be disappointed if we place our faith and trust in him in all things. And live like we believe that the world is filled with hurting and wounded sheep. Those who the world wants us to hate, to see as our enemy, in fact... God wants us to see that they respond best to the gospel by our following Jesus' example of responding with a heart of compassion. If we start living like we believe these things, we will be the best evidence that Jesus is relevant to the needs of the world today. As I close, I want us to look just briefly at this other text from Matthew that we did read from Matthew 9, 35. And it's interesting, again, very similar wording here. Verse 35, And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and affliction. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Here again we see Jesus is moved with compassion and what he saw was that they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Meat for the wolves. And again, he is grieved by their heartache, has sympathy for those who are lost and without a shepherd. And the people were moved by his genuine compassion. And here's the rub. Here's the part that I have had a hard time swallowing this week and has convicted me so much. Because there are times that I look at the world And those who commit evil, those who hold extremely different views from me, those who are loud and belligerent and intolerant, and attack our faith, and I sometimes think, you know, they're going to reap what they sow, and I'm okay with that. That's wrong. That's not Jesus' heart. In fact, in the scriptures, we never see Jesus condemn the sheep. We never see where he feels that the sheep are too stupid or ignorant or evil or sickly or even too self righteous. Jesus always sees them for what they are lost sheep, lost sheep that he loves. And he was never too tired, never too discouraged. Never too disheartened to reach out in love to those lost sheep. And if you read through the Gospels, you see that over and over again. When they come, He receives them, He reaches out to them over and over with a heart of compassion. And the truth is, he still does that to this lost sheep today. Because I'm a sinner and I fall short and I walk away and I mess up. But he never gives up on me. So, how do we respond to this? How, how, how do we react? You know, I remembered my childhood pastor, Pastor Maynard Halverson. And a prayer that he taught me when I, when I was just just a young man, young boy, and, I, I, and I'm only still learning, beginning to learn to understand what it means, but he's taught me to pray, Lord, roll on me the weight of souls perishing around me. Lord, roll on me the weight of souls perishing around me. And that's a good place to start to start seeing those people that are around me as more than just an inconvenience, more than just somebody who I really don't have time for, more than just the guy who's at the corner begging for something, uh, looking for a handout, more than just that guy who at work just seems to bug me. Or grow on me the weight of souls perishing around me. It's also good here to note that Jesus says, never says, I'm too busy. I have too many other things to do. Let someone else do it. Instead, what we see is that he ministered them right where they were right then. In this passage, he then tells the, chef, the disciples Pray that the, that the, that he would send further out. That the Lord, that the harvest is truly plentiful. He says, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And that's where we come in. That's us. He's praying for. That's us. It's not just for missionaries. Not just for pastors. For us. Friends, if we really believe in Jesus, if we really want to make a difference in this post-Christian world, we need to live like it. We need those around us to know it and see that we are followers of Jesus Christ, not in an offensive way, but by a heart of compassion, by reflecting our Savior. It should be evident the things we do and don't do and the words and actions of our lives. In tangible and helpful and physical ways, Our lives should reflect the faith that believes that Jesus Christ came to save sinners and I am one. It should be marked by signs of genuine compassion for others, for those who are in need, who are struggling, who need a hand up, as well as for those who don't share our views, those who reject our beliefs and values, and even those who openly oppose us, even at great cost and sacrifice, like Jesus. Friends, this is the heart of the gospel and the solution that our world desperately needs. That begins by the followers of Jesus living a life that reflects this. ourselves and how we see others. And you know, when we do, the world will begin to see that our faith in Jesus is not only important and valuable and relevant, but it's critical for them as well. That true Christianity is relevant. We'll be the voices that God can use. As we close, let me encourage you to take Jesus' prayer to heart when he says the harvest is truly plentiful, but the labors are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest and send out labors into that harvest. And to see it is not just a call for pastors and missionaries, but for us. To recognize the needs and opportunities around us, to realign our life with him and his call upon us, to live out a life that mirrors what we proclaim that we might be seen as relevant by a world in need and the labor in God's harvest field. And also, also know the joy of making a difference for eternity, leading others to new life in Christ that would otherwise spend eternity in hell. Would you pray with me, please? Lord God, thank you for your compassion towards us. Even when we were undeserving, even when we were sinners, you died for us. Thank you, O oh God, for your compassion. Lord, we pray as well that you would teach us, Lord, not, not, not only to give thanks for it, but Lord, to mirror it as well. Lord, that others would see you and us, that, that, that we would see as you see those people around us that are desperately in need, those who are hurting, those even who oppose us as those that you love and care for. Pray also that you would give us the joy of kingdom work, loving others in your name, leading others to you, seeing you work new life in them, and having a part of making a difference for eternity. God, I ask for each one of us, start that work in us today, even now. Or that we might do these things to your honor and glory. Lord, I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.